everybody in Serial Killer Country. My name is Brittany Ransom. And my name is Brian Joyner. And this is the When Killers Get Caught podcast, devoted to deep dives into the lives and psyches of the killer we love to learn about. Each week, Brian and I will find a true crime story that resonated with us. Then I discuss a well-known or lesser-known killer, go deep into their childhood lives, methodology, and how they got caught. And then we'll get a little spooky and Brian will introduce us to something cryptid or supernatural. Yes. And... Our first segment is always This Week in True Crime. And this one is, I don't know. I guess it's not so good, but it ends kind of sort of feel good. Listen, all right. I'll just explain <laughs> it. Um, in Texas, uh, this came out at the end of June. A little girl was in her bedroom. She's about 10 years old. And she screamed for her parents. And outside of her window was a man looking through her window and like touching himself inappropriately. Oh no. So both mom and dad grabbed their guns and ran outside. The guy fled to a gas station and they chased him. So then the wife stood there like mom holding her gun on him and dad went inside to call 911. And then I guess the man thinking that the woman would be weaker or whatever, tried to like wrestle the gun away from her (laughs) and dad stepped out and shot him three times. And, uh, like, the mom was like, we didn't want to shoot him. We were waiting for police to come and detain him. Because if I'm pretty sure if he did this to my children, he would do it to somebody else. Yeah. Um, his his name hasn't been released, but, like, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's dead. And that's kind of the story. Well, you kind of get what you get. Exactly. And, like, I'm I'm not sorry, sir, that you <laughs> should be doing Like, why? Why? To, no. How, how old was this, this child? She was 10. No. This just like makes me want to just think like no matter what, if your kid asks to have their bedroom on the first floor, just know. Yeah. Nothing I, goes well with having your bedroom on the first floor. No, because there's black eyed children, there's cryptids, there's other things outside cho- your window, there's pedophiles. Black eyed children can fucking float, okay? They will float. All I'm saying is keep that kid up on a second floor. But let me tell you, uh, my kids are on the second floor and They'd probably be in the windows. My kids? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. They're always in the windows. Hey, what you doing down there? (laughs) Children are a mess, but regardless, like, you know, well, it was a a quick solution to a problem, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, you kind of, you you effed up, dude, and then you got chased down and you wanted to try to fight. You thought. You should have just stopped. That's really the truth of that matter. You really should have. Oh, well. Oh, well. Oh, my God. Well, justice served. There you go. And speaking of justice. Alrighty. I'm trying. I'm going to speak about some justice now. I'm going to start this off with a quote. So this is a threat to you. When I find you, I will show you that I, what I do to serial killers. And this is a quote from a man. Is who it co- the guy from Alaska? Who know? Okay. This is a guy from Arkansas. Okay. So, next to Texas. Ooh. Um, it's a guy. It's a superhero. His name is uh, Shadow Vision. Okay. Um, this is a picture of him in his costume. His suit. Oh, he really has set himself up. He's a vigilante. He is. Okay. Yes. Um, so, he's a self-professed superhero. 
who is hunting a serial killer, stabber, serial stabber in Arkansas. Okay. Um, let's see. So, I guess this serial stabber has been attacking people since August 2020. Mm-hmm. And this is when Shadow Vision comes into play. Okay. So he has a he has a Facebook page, and this is where he he made his quote. He has a Facebook page. Yeah, totally okay. has a Facebook page. Continue, yeah. continue. Um. So I guess on on Thursday he had told a follower on his Facebook page that he was in Little Rock, Arkansas, where this his stabbing has been taking place. Um. And that he was hunting. The serial killer that was there. And there have been four knife attacks and only three were, that were fatal. Um, That's still a lot. Yeah, yeah. But the surviving victim, she was uh, stabbed 15 times. Oh, no. Yeah. So well, good luck, dude. I know, right? Um, we do wish you luck in your, in your hunt shadow vision. And I do hope that you... Either right, hope you find the guy either, or somebody else. I was about to say, either you help find this man or that, you know. Somebody he, finds him. Somebody stops him or stops them. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, I guess he has a TikTok as well. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. What's his TikTok? Um, I don't think it's It's one. probably just Shadow Vision. It probably is just I'm gonna Shadow Vision. I'm going to search it in just a moment. I, I don't, it doesn't say it on the article. It does not have it on the article. But um, apparently... There's a TikToker. There's somebody wrote on you know commented is like I can't with this stupid city. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even. Uh, stating that her first city has a serial killer and now a superhero to protect them. So, look. This sounds like a good. I like this. Like if great. if we had a superhero in our city, I'd be like all about you. Like, dude, let me buy you drinks. Did you find his TikTok? That look on your face. He's walking around. <laughs> You just search Shadow Vision on TikTok, y'all. And he there's videos of it, people behind him. Like, he's walking around the city. Yo, let me buy you. I wish I could buy you a drink. Do you have a right? Kofi? Do you have a Kofi? Do you have a Patreon? What do you have, dude? Give me your cash app. I'll cash app you some cash so this you can buy a drink. Cool. Yep. So, Brevin and I took a very small moment to look up the Shadow Vision post on, on uh, TikTok. Oh, my God. And uh, boy, are they worth it. Apparently, Shadow Vision is from Ireland. No, Scotland. I can't mess that up. He's from Scotland, and he came to Arkansas because he felt like the people of Arkansas were losing hope. Also, he has friends, one named Tothian and Master Legend, and they go on patrols together. What is Master Legend wearing? Master Legend legitimately has a Boba Fett mask on, along with like a silver outfit. So fucking awesome. (laughs) great i'm so sorry shadow vision this I, is incredible this I'm, is incredible well now i'm glad he has friends though so he... oh also he is fundraising he's crowdfunding so he can get an official superhero vehicle yo um his cash app is money sign r l s h a d o w i'll give you my whole paycheck <laughs> v-i-s-i-o-n so it's just real life sh shadow vision I'll, I'll give you my whole paycheck so you get a car just drive you gotta drive here though okay 
You gotta drive to where oh, I am. Oh, I'm watching, looking at a video of, of the three of them walking together uh, in Arkansas. That was awesome. This is from Tothian. It says, at Tothian. Oh, my God. He has his own page? <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, you bet he does. He only has 111 followers. Come on, y'all. Help Tothian become a real superhero. <laughs> Please. <laughs> on TikTok. <laughs> Help me get to a thousand followers so he can go live too. I feel, listen, you have more TikTok followers than you've sure so like too. three videos. I have more than three videos. I have like 20 something videos. Nuh-uh. I do count my videos. I sure as so do. You have to post consistently. That's the problem. Look, I don't know. Uh. It's a lot. It is. It's a lot. Like, those people are like, how do you do this? I'm like, when we when I first started the TikTok, I was posting three or four times a day for the first four months. Mm-hmm. Now I am at a place where I can post like once, like or once a day or every other day and yeah. still get like a certain amount of views. But Just... you have to really dedicate like right away. But like all of them have like a couple hundred views. I was about to say my latest one, I would have thought I would got. You had more until you removed it. I responded the first time. I didn't have. I don't think I had more than that. Really? No. Oh, well. Well, this, you just brought some light to my life. You're welcome. This just hope that woke you up. <laughs> that did. I also got some coffee in our break. So there you go. So there we go. So <laughs> this week, I kind of tasked myself with trying to find a serial killer that I wasn't as familiar with as some of the other ones, um, which is hard for people who are crime nerds like us, right? So I was browsing on Amazon and I ended up looking at a book from Michael Newton and he wrote one of the encyclopedias of serial killers that I own, as well as a really frustrating book that I have been reading through called The Unsolved Civil Rights Murder Cases, which is just all of the horrible murders that went unsolved because racism. Um, But a book popped up in my suggestions that was called The Dark Strangler, Earl Leonard Nelson. And I had never heard the name before. Um, which doesn't really happen that often to me. Like usually when people on my live streams are like, hey, have you heard of this person? It's because the crime had literally happened days ago. Yeah. And I haven't had a chance to see it on the news yet. But like if it comes to somebody who's like been around for a hundred years, absolutely yeah, I know that. Brittany knows about him. Um, but what I discovered is the reason why we don't know much about this is because right during the nineteen twenties, when Earl Leonard Nelson was busy doing his criming, uh the media was obsessed with gangs and, you know, uh, it was prohibition, uh, Elliot Nelson, you know, and Elliot Ness, all of that stuff, you know, and they very much took a backseat to n- unlike the seventies and the nineties, which were all serial killers all the time. Right. That was a popping time um, for serial killers. In fact, when Nelson was killing, they didn't even have a word for what he was doing. That word wasn't crafted until uh, the seventies by wrestler, uh, Agent Wrestler. Yeah. So, I <laughs> what I will tell you about this. Well, like you know, I, I've, I've mentioned him in passing, mm. but he slipped in and out of boarding homes, houses, uh, which is really, really popular in the twenties. People just would like rent a room in somebody's house, and mm. a lot of people were doing it a lot more than now, honestly. Uh, he was able to get in and out of highly populated areas and he he was strong. In fact, like at one point, like they referred to him as like a gorilla, like a gorilla killer. Oh my god. It was a weird name. Um the But they thought of him as like almost inhuman, the way that he could like I don't want to say destroy a body, but the way that he sometimes hid them in places where bodies shouldn't fit. Mm. 
Yeah. It crumpled him up. Yeah. That was something that he could do with ease. Um, but yeah. Now, I have my own feelings about why I think this man was able to get in and out of places easily. I think it's because he looks like an unremarkable white man. But <laughs> you'll see what I mean. But his name is the Dark Strangler. Well, that's okay. I got to also explain that, too. I didn't realize this until I started reading from a couple different sources. But you know the phrase tall, dark, and handsome? It doesn't mean like black people. It means like men who have like like white men who have dark coloration, like darker tan skin, dark hair, dark eyes. They're not. But they're still white. So, but when I think of tall, dark, and handsome, I think of like someone who's brown skin. Yes. And then you know, I didn't I didn't realize that that was the original like explanation of that. So he's kind of the dark strangler because he just didn't look like a blonde hair, blue eyed white guy. You know, he had. As they say in the books, darker features. You know, this wouldn't have happened if uh, Shadow Vision was around back then. <laughs> if only there had been Shadow Vision across all of America and into Canada. Oh my God, that would have been awesome. Because he killed all over the place. He would have been. He killed across America as he was running away. This would have been like uh, the Dark Knight. Like the, actually, yeah, the, yeah, Dark Knight. <laughs> when, Dark Knight <laughs> no, not that one. Like the, the actually the Dark Knight when Batman goes across the fucking sea to get the. Okay. I don't remember these movies happen. I've watched them once. Okay, like ten years. ago. Never mind. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. All I remember is Christian Bale talking in his. This is my Batman voice. <laughs> My mother named of Martha as well. Yeah, the Batman <laughs> voice was like it, it completely. Honestly, if I'm right, I think the original Dark Knight with uh, Heath Ledger that came out when I was in like high school. So that was a long time ago for me. Oh my god, I have that on DVD. It's a good movie. DVDs for all of you who don't know what DVDs are. <laughs> wow, DVDs were before streaming. Oh, we are just dating ourselves left and right here. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> anyway. Back to your dark strangler. But regardless, we're going to start with everything that we start with. The beginning. Uh, Earl Nelson was actually born Earl Leonard Farrell on May 12, 1897 in San Francisco, California to Francis Nelson, an English woman, and James Farrell, a Spanish man. Both of his parents died from syphilis. Uh, Francis passed away when Earl was only nine months old and James passed six months later. He was sent to live with his maternal grandmother, Jenny. Uh, Jenny Nelson, who promptly changed his name from Farrell to Nelson. The sources don't really say why, but I am just imagining that the reason why she did this is because her daughter died from syphilis that she got from her spouse. I mean, that makes sense. Uh, apparently there were tests that you were supposed to do before you got married to somebody. Yeah, they were considered like you, you took like a spousal STD test like a hundred years ago to make sure that your spouse didn't have like a tertiary syphilis well that should be like a common thing now too we do listen you know people don't do nothing i'm just saying people that are should, a mess that should be a thing people are like what herpes Psh, we okay. good I just you don't even gotta tell people you don't tell people oh my god it's awful it don't ju- don't date just don't date <laughs> dating sucks y'all <laughs> But, uh, back on target, yes. uh, Earl grew up with uh, his grandmother's two children, technically his aunt Lillian and his uncle Willis. They were 10 and 18 years older than him. Sorry, 10 and 8 years older. Uh, Jenny was a devout Pentecostal woman, and religion was a huge part of Earl's life 
from young to old. Um, after doing some, after we talked about Ed Gein like we did uh, two weeks ago, mm-hmm. I was definitely looking up the connection with like these religious women and these men's lives because it seems to keep coming up. And so uh, Robert Ressler, the uh, FBI agent who coined the term serial killer, uh, he did that with his team of people at the FBI by interviewing just a tremendous amount of serial killers and wrestlers released a bunch of books, but um, the one that I was looking at, Mm -hmm. he said that in two thirds of serial killers, he profiled, they all had a dominant female presence in their life, specifically in their formative years. And there were, there was no father figure in the home, but by the time these serial killers, men reached 12 years old and of course i'm not saying that single moms are raising serial killers but it is a very interesting um consistent thing especially once it's then added with the very dogmatic aggressive religion yeah which describes Egin's mother as in the same as jenny nelson yeah because then it's like pressured onto them too then at that time at that point you know and i'm just I don't hate the concept of religion. I think it can be very helpful to a lot of people. But man, do I know how it has completely destroyed so many people I know personally. Um, I have friends whose families were part of cults who were irreparably harmed. Like, complete obsession with religion seems to always be unhealthy. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's just the way. you can't. Anything you're addicted to is bad for you. This is true. But, you know, regardless, Jenny was trying to raise these kids into God-fearing people. She was very stern, a little bit distant, overworked herself, you know, now having three kids to raise. Um, And it it wasn't like she didn't care about Earl. But from a young age, he was definitely kind of troubled. He was really morbid, which is weird for small kids. Um, He was often hyper and very depressed. Um, Harold Schechter wrote about how he ate like an animal. And he would cover his food in olive oil and then dip his face into the plate and slurp it up like a dog, which his aunt and uncle found disgusting. (laughs) And they actually made fun of him for it, which I would only expect, like, regardless, even if he's what, like, so he, when he came into the household, he was what, like a year old. So the one boy would have been nine when he came in and the other girl, like 11. Okay. And so now this is like this five-year-old who's like, slurping up food at the table and if he's, even if he's five that means the other boy is almost like preteen or yeah teen. yeah they're they're both in their teenage years yeah so teenagers are harsh okay <laughs> yeah all kids are but earl never felt like he had siblings even though that's what jenny wanted for him hmm. um and i think that's really poignant too because uh our our lovely uh robert wrestler wrote about um, serial killers having a struggle to bond and make attachments early in their life. And you, you have children, and I work with children, so you know that kids are particularly vulnerable in the way that they fall in love with everyone they meet. Yes. You can take your kid on a walk around the block, and all of a sudden, like, your neighbor you never met until just now is your best friend. Oh my like, God. that's how they are. You know, I start every year. Listen. And a week later, I love you, Miss Brittany. And I'm like, oh, that's very nice. Thank you. Listen, these kids, every time I take them to like drive through McDonald's, they have to say hi 
Mm-hmm. She was the cashiers every time. I need to say hi. Oh, I need to so say cute. hi. I was like, you don't have to. Like, I want to. Yeah, I was at uh, a restaurant with my best friend a couple weeks ago. We went to uh, the, that really nice crab place mm-hmm. over near the mall. And uh, there was a little kid sitting not far from us who said hi to literally everyone who walked by her. Like, And the thing was, she was sitting there eating her shrimp. Her little fried uh, little clams or whatever was in her little basket in front of her. <laughs> and she would stop. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Hi. Oh, my God. You know, that's just how children are. And so um, that's the norm. Mm. Kids are very trusting and, and open and sweet. They are the best part of our society until society destroys us and we become grownups. <laughs> but, uh. I just I can't imagine meeting this like sullen six year old with these like intense mood swings where he goes from like okay to like violence who doesn't like anybody doesn't know how to make any friends has no like bonds with any of his family members like that's who we're talking about when we discuss Earl Nelson as a child like he's he's hidden all the markers that are going to make him a serial killer fairly soon mm. Um, other weird things that happened when he was little he would leave home dressed for school. And he will return home in dirty but distinctly different clothing. So how? Where's that, this? That's the question. How is he finding kids' clothes too that are dirty and worn? Where are you getting these from? <laughs> Who are you trading with? Is this a trade situation? Like you know, kids trade food at lunch. Like what is going on? Did you? I don't. I don't, I don't get that. Where do you get these dirty clothes from, sir? Exactly. Um, he also had a really, and like I said, he had a horrible temper that violence at drop of a dime. He would steal from like the local shops, and his grandmother was like often called to deal with him being detained for shoplifting. In fact, he got expelled from the uh, it's Agassiz Primary School before like second grade. He was seven years old. Oh my god! So that's also really hard. To get, I feel like it's hard to get expelled when you're that young. Yeah, but um, they try. They kind of just want to push you through. <laughs> I've I've hit that he's got trouble forming bonds. He's got this dogmatic female figure. Mm. What's the thing he doesn't have yet, Brian? His head injury. You are right. He is, <laughs> he's about to though, because when he's 11, he's showing off to the kids in the neighborhood on a bike that he'd gotten from his uncle, and he's racing the the, the trolley. Mm. And as he's going ahead of the trolley, the trolley clips his back wheel because the trolley can't stop. Yeah. He crashes headfirst into the ground. He spends the next week just in and out of consciousness. Um, It takes two weeks for him to even be like normal again. Um, And of course, like we know, head injuries exacerbate mental illness in serial killers. So that was, I believe, kind of like the beginning of. This is about to go really bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Earl's grandmother dies when he is 14 years old. And Aunt Lillian feels bad for him. And she's like, you can come stay with me. Um, no discussion about Will. Will never is there for this kid. I realized that as I was going through my notes. Oh, wow. We never hear from Uncle Will ever again. No. Damn. Oh, wow. <laughs> Will was like, uh, you're weird and I don't like you. <laughs> like, Peace out. <laughs> But by 14, Earl had dropped out of school. Lillian was 24, and she genuinely cared for this kid. 
um, even with all of his strangeness. But his psychotic behavior just got worse after the head injury. He would talk to people nobody could see. He began obsessing over the Bible and quoting verses. He particularly was into uh, Revelation. Mm. Um, Lillian discovered that when he came home in those dirty clothes, those were from homeless people. From homeless children? No, I don't know about the children time, but at least when he was 14, he was going like he was taking the clothes of homeless people and maybe leaving his clothes behind. Like, there's so many questions here. Like, okay, so I I have a theory. Maybe... He was grabbing thir- dirty clothes from somebody's laundry. Ooh, that's a good idea. Maybe he was just stealing stuff. He did like to steal. Yeah. Cause, yeah, exactly. So maybe he's just walking by someone's backyard and he sees their clothes hanging up Oh, or gosh, something. even worse. Like, the clothes aren't, are like, he's like just reaching into a window and grabbing a yeah, pile of dirty clothes. Exactly. And just walking away with them. I can imagine that. That makes sense, yeah. But where, like, where else but would a child get clothes? they were worn. But then again, I mean, this this is a time period where people did a lot of heavy, hard labor. Yeah. So your clothes being worn isn't uncommon, especially because people made their own clothes mm-hmm. back then. So, like, listen, if you made your own pants, you were wearing those bad boys till they were holes. <laughs> this is true. Oh, goodness. But um, at 14, Earl, out of school, he's like, all right, I'm going to try and work. Can't keep a job. Like, if he made it to a month, that was impressive. Um, he wasn't really fond of doing a lot of work. Uh, he would some, like, if, say he like agreed to like work on like a construction site for the day mm. and make like a day rate, like even doing something as simple as like just being like a carrying stuff from one side to the other. Randomly through the day, he would just be like, oh, I'm done. No. And he would just walk off the job site and never come back. I would punch him so hard. <laughs> <laughs> He, he also never grew out of his anger from his youth. He was still a very angry kid. Um, and even though Lillian loved him, she was afraid of him. Um, she gave a lot of like interviews after he got caught. And she talked about how strange he was when he was young. Um, like, now we get into another aspect of serial killers. Um, mo- a lot of them having really bizarre... <sighs> sexual urges at a young age hmm. i believe you remember that that one who who said that it was his parents job to teach him about sex oh yeah and that they had denied him oh my god the, the joy of bisexuality and that they were supposed to have manually stimulated him at six years old yeah that's how you this i told you that we were we i had a whole, pod- <laughs> a whole podcast on it yeah okay no exactly. you told me that yep i did tell you about that because i remember hearing about that and i was like what the <laughs> no oh my god that was Herbert Mullen. Uh, I knew it was Ace. Way back to episode 13. Yeah. So oh uh, it's it's very, unfortunately, that's also another thing that Wrestler has noticed. It's very common that serial killers have some level of sexual dysfunction. Even if they are not sexual killers, mm-hmm. they still struggle with the ability to be a regular person. Hmm. Um, so Earl was a compulsive masturbator. And Wrestler says that 80% of the people he profiled have a sexual dysfunction of some kind. Um, now, wait, hold on. Is chronic masturbation... <laughs> con- all the time. Really? All the time. I'm sorry, fellas. <laughs> and <laughs> It's really not good for you, physically or emotionally, to rely on the uh, 
endorphins that you are getting from said orgasm Hmm. in the same way that also um if you were compulsively having sex with strangers it's also not good for you okay because what the person is doing is they're getting high off of the release well what do we have just dailies is it like once a time once a day or like for hours every day i mean what if it's like daily with your partner that's different usually that's people you know enriching their lives relationship but you could absolutely be dating somebody who has a problem like that Mm. um i think about that a lot with uh ted bundy he was able to carry on with normal relationships but he was definitely sexually dysfunctional okay yeah so he was able to fake the funk at least until he couldn't yeah and then then yeah then he lost control and then he went on a spree so yeah but uh earl on top of the compulsive masturbation, he daydreamed all the time. He lived in this fantasy world. He was constantly like out of it. Um, he started visiting brothels when he was 15 years old near the Fisherman's Wharf. And uh, there he contracted a venereal disease. How'd you let a 15-year-old in? <laughs> well, he's always reported as being a stocky guy. And a lot of pieces said he was tall, too. Now, I know, based on when I looked up, that he's about 5'8". I just don't know. Is 5'8 really tall in 1920? Mm. It might have been because we are a taller people now than we say, were 100 years ago. Maybe. Maybe. Because you're taller than he is. Yeah. But he, he, every report was like he's a tall, stocky guy. So uh, he I also sh- started going to bars, too, and they didn't check him there either. I get carded all the time. That's because now there are laws. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before, I was like, you got money? All right. We'll take your, we'll take your patronage. <laughs> Uh, so he started going on these like multi-day benders. Uh, any money he didn't give his aunt to pay his bill, like pay the bills or help with the house, he would just drink, and he would come back days later just jacked up, bruises, bloody, like he'd gotten in a bunch of fights. And there wasn't a whole lot that Lily could do. Like she had two kids of her own. She was very aware that her nephew was mentally ill, but she was just like, ah. and listen, sometimes they had good times. He used to do all sorts of jokes and tricks and he would like jump around and he would like walk on his hands and make the kids laugh and he would lift heavy objects with his teeth like he was a sideshow free. Oh, wow. And um, one thing Lillian, another reason why she didn't kick him out right away too is because he was making money. She didn't know how he was making money. She she definitely had an idea that it was illegal, hmm. but he was making a lot of money and he was definitely able to help the household that way. So she didn't really, especially because he was gone for weeks at a time, like he'd stop by, probably drop off like 20 bucks and then leave. He was a mule of some sort. He had to, I think so. I think he was doing something with drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, So she was like, listen, you're always welcome here. Whatevs. Um, but then uh, spring of 1915, Earl leaves his house to go on one of his random walkabouts. Uh, he, The older he got, the more restless he was. He would just disappear for weeks. Hmm. And then not they weren't always like the, you know, benders. Sometimes he just wanted to be away. And um, on this day, he was out in the middle of the wilderness and he broke into what he thought was an abandoned cabin. And he got surprised when the owner came back. Hmm. He, like, fled into the woods, but he got chased and caught. Um, Open and shut case. He was convicted of burglary, sentenced to two years in San Quentin prison. Um, 
And this definitely kind of fixed the issue about Lillian being worried about what he might do. There you go. Because he wasn't there for two years. <laughs> um, he spent that time with really no issues. He emerged from jail right as America was being drawn into World War One. He enlisted in the army as Earl Farrell. Uh, he probably realized the army, not for him. So he went AWOL and headed to Salt Lake City. Okay. But he didn't like Utah. So he re-enlisted in the military. Who does? This time the Navy. (laughs) He was assigned as a cook in San Francisco. And just like every other job. He quit. You know it. He went AWOL (laughs) again after a month. Oh, my God. He flitted from job to job in the Bay Area for about two months before enlisting in the military again. What? (laughs) I knew. As a medical corpsman. How you let someone back in? He kept applying to different branches come on so he had already gone AWOL from the army then he went to the navy then he left the navy and he went back to the army and he's like ah sorry y'all I'm back I'm ready to be a soldier and the military he was there for like a couple of weeks and they were like he needs to be evaluated by a doctor oh god so um he was like yeah no I'm good and he left again and this time he went back to the military he went back to the navy and the Navy was like, Ugh, we really need people right now. You know, World War happening. <laughs> so they let him back into the Navy. Wasn't there Air Force, too? Go to the Air Force. I mean, they take you. Um, But, like, he was like, I want to be in the Navy, but I don't want to work. And he started, like, prophesizing about the apocalypse while he was there, like, on base. And so uh, they were like, we're going to um, forcibly take him to the Napa state mental hospital and he is 21 at this point his intake interview is weird he's like listen i used to masturbate every day but i stopped when i was 18 he's like i i am an alcoholic but i haven't had a drink in the last seven months Hmm. they do a blood test they find that he has both gonorrhea and syphilis which he'd gotten before he was even 16 years old damn um he's obsessed with god and the bible and on top of that, he kept trying to escape. <laughs> and he managed to do it twice uh, during the 13 months he lived there. And he, But the escape, escape attempts were so frequent that other patients called him Houdini. Well, he didn't get away all the time. They're like, oh, Houdini's at it again. My boy Houdini. So the third time he escapes is in 1919. And at that point, I think the hospital staff had had enough. So get the hell out of here. They're like, listen, we're not going to force him to stay here. We know the military says he has to be here, but we're tired of having to chase him down whenever he, (laughs) if someone leaves an open door, there's Earl running again. Oh my God. So they like pretty much just told the military, yeah, you should cut your losses with this one. (laughs) And then the military discharged him. And in his records, it's it wrote and quotations improved improved um he had not improved by any he was still very violent uh destructive and heading right towards homicidal god shortly after his escape he came back to Aunt Lillian and he was like I got discharged from the military and she's like okay and she's like well I can help you get a job so he became a janitor at St. Mary's Hospital there he met the woman of his dreams or the woman of his creepy fantasy because 
he met Mary Martin, who was 58 years old and looked just like his grandmother. Oh, so it's a creepy fetish. Got Indeed. It. And <laughs> Earl was in love. Oh. He almost immediately began talking to her about marriage. And Mary was like, well, uh, here I am. Uh, I'm 58. There's this uh, attractive, what, like late 20s young man oh who God. wants to be with me. Uh, she's trying to get her groove back, apparently, and so she accepts. Oh, my God. Nothing suspicious about this at all. Listen, if, like, somebody on TikTok who looks like they're, like, 21 hits on me, I'm like, no. Mm -hmm. You are a child. Yep. Goodbye, baby. <laughs> it's like, you are a baby. No, thank you. Don't talk to babies. I'm like, sorry. <clears throat> you look like a child. Actually, someone recently who was, like, 28 years old, like, sent me a message and I was just like, oh, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm sorry. You indeed are an adult. You are a card-carrying adult. But it still feels weird. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just it's a personal thing for me. If at any point I look back at my life and go, hmm. Like right now, because uh, it's summertime, a lot of our summer camp staff are teenagers. Mm -hmm. So we have like an 18-year-old, a 20-year-old, a 22-year-old. Like if at any time I could sit and go, Oh, uh, like we, we talk about stuff. And like uh, the other day, a song came on the radio. It was a Justin Timberlake song. Okay. And so one of the little boys was like, who made this song? And so but the one teacher who's close to my age is like, I'm not telling you. He went to all the other teachers mm -hmm. and asked them. And they didn't know yep. because they were all children when these songs came out. Oh, my God. Who doesn't know Justin Timberlake? Well, okay. So they didn't know Justin Timberlake the way I are when he was with Timbaland. Mm. They know Justin Timberlake now as this like soulful adult contemporary singer. They don't know him like we knew him when he was, you know, dirty pop. Like they don't know that <laughs> era of Justin Timberlake. So <laughs> like if you don't know, like if you can't vibe with me on that music, I don't know if I can talk to you. Like one of my friends at work loves One Direction. She might even listen to this. Love you, Katie. But that's not the same era of music that we were listening to when you were a teenager listening to One Direction. I was in college, so <laughs> yeah, like One Direction. Yeah, that's... I remember helping my uncle get a ticket for my ten-year-old niece so she could see One Direction. Oh my god! And I was in high. I was in college at this point. So that's just me personally. I don't know what Mary was thinking about here. Maybe she was just flattered by the attention of a younger man. When a younger man comes on, comes at me, I'm like, ugh, sorry, but no, 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 no. <laughs> sorry, child. No, thank you. You are a children. <laughs> but uh, Mary accepted his proposal and she was like, oh, it's going to be great. I got this youthful young man I can be with. Uh, what she didn't realize is that he was a mess. Uh, and he slipped right back into his bad behavior. He was uh, doing the thing where he would start out one day wearing clothes and come back wearing different clothes. Only sometimes he would like it would change entirely. Like someday he would come back, like come back home dressed like a sailor or like wearing golf clothes. And she's like, oh, where? how did you what? He was still in. He was. Stephen. He was yeah, I think you're right. I think he was just Stephen. Um he started stealing Mary's dresses and like trying to craft very poorly made outfits out of them. So he would like steal the dress but still try and turn it into pants. Hmm. I'm like, "Why are you taking your girl's clothes?" Yeah. Get get the curtains. Then he started refusing to bathe, 
which worked opposite of the whole sexual dysfunction issue because you you want her to have sex with you, Earl, but yeah. you smell bad. So she refused. You see the problem here, sir. And so then he would like masturbate next to her in bed and she was scandalized because she was a good Christian woman. Mm -hmm. Catholics never masturbate, at least according to what I was taught in Catholic school. But you had sex. Well, they're married. Okay. But it was, I don't know, you're not supposed to masturbate according. Listen, I remember this from high school and we were confused then and I'm still confused about it. I'll never understand y'all. It was some Bible verse about how your seed's not supposed to hit the ground. It doesn't. It hits a sock. <laughs> it hits a sock. It hits a tail. It hits whatever. Whatever. But we were told in high school you're not supposed to masturbate. Whatever. Um, and uh, I will say this for Earl: he was initially kind to Mary. Mm. Um, his love, however, did kind of shift into uh, some pretty unruly possessiveness. Uh, jealousy he would get mad if she took a phone call from her brother um he would hit walls or throw things if he thought she had been like too friendly to like the mailman oh my god and she's like i just i just accepted the mail and was like thank you yeah and he's like that's too much i said thanks Um, for giving my mail and not going through it god you know and uh, having been like a a very uh, aggressive like a, a abusive relationship like people do react that way they're like uh yeah that smile was, uh, you know, letting him know he could come back and deliver his mail later. Like, it's it's bizarre. Tomorrow, yeah, if he has a package for me, please. Yeah, I bet you want his package, don't you? I want the package I ordered. <laughs> that's exactly, but that's like the weirdness that, 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 how that becomes. It's awful, but, um, so it's probably no surprise to you that he married a woman who looked like his aunt, mm-hmm. I mean his grandmother, and that would be the woman that he would, the kind of woman that he would kill. At least in the beginning, before he com- lost complete control of everything, um, it's very symbolic that that uh, he's at this point he's only showing like the like sexual predation. He's not doing anything about these these desires yet, but this this symbolic like the victimology here is a lot. Um, and for a small time, Mary satisfied his urges. I think that were linked to this symbolism. Mm-hmm. Um, those feelings about his his mother figure but eventually he started he looked elsewhere earl began to have these migraines that no one could fix and it happened he had one while he was at work and he was on a ladder and he fell down and hit his head again where he was knocked unconscious double head injury (laughs) <laughs> Double homicide. Now you get it. It happens all the time on my page. People say that. Um, but um, two days later, though, he went back to work. He was like, "I'm fine," no. but uh, it wasn't because he was seeing these persistent visions and hearing voices that were religious. He was more violent and paranoid with Mary. And one day they got into like a regular fight. Uh, he got into first it started at the hospital. He got into an argument with somebody at work and then he went home and he got into a fight with Mary about how he wanted to leave Palo Alto where they had their house. But she was like, no, I'm not leaving my job. It's a good job. It's fine. So he left without her. And then the next day he like came back. And he was like, no, no, no. I still want to be with you. Come back. And she was like, no, no, thank you. Um, no. Which honestly probably saved her life. Yeah, that kept Mary from being the fir- his first murder victim. She walked out on me. What the hell? 
so Earl set out to vent his frustrations and anger on women. So uh, he tried to jump right into doing the murder thing, but he failed. His first victim was 12 and she was playing inside of her home and he saw her through a window. So he pretended to be like the gas guy and he said that he had to come fix a gas leak. And he walked in and he like tried to strangle the little girl. Um, the brother, of course, hurt her. And uh, as soon as he saw the other man, he like let the little girl go and mm-hmm. he ran outside where the brother chased him. They got into a fist fight. Earl got one good hit in and knocked the guy down and then he took off. Um, police searched the whole area and two hours later they found him on a trolley just sitting there pretending like nothing happened. <laughs> um, the mugshot after that attack, he's jacked up. Um, he's got scratches on his face from the little girl. He took a couple face shots. Um, his first night in prison, he like the guards are freaked out because he is screaming about there being faces in the walls and he is plucking out his eyebrows by hand. Mm. Uh, they, Mary gets a phone call from the police and they're like, your husband's in jail, but we're sending him to a hospital. So Mary arrives at the hospital and he is strapped to a bed in a straitjacket, crying and screaming about the faces he can see in the wall. And Mary's just like, oh, wow, I married someone who's really messed up. Yep. Um, Also there at the hospital, she learned about him leaving the military three times before getting (laughs) discharged. Um, They don't come back, please. But she decided she was going to stick with him um, and support him because he was going to be involuntarily held at the hospital. A month later. He's taken to trial and there are psychiatrists who are like, well, we met with him, you know, and he's kind of apathetic and eccentric and, you know, destructive. And he has a hairpin trigger. They're also like, he's very dangerous and he's very depressed. And they're like, we can't support releasing him to his wife or to himself. He's going to hurt her or somebody else. Mm -hmm. So the judge is like, oh, cool. Absolutely. I I support with this. And so they file a commitment order saying that he's dangerous to the public and they're going to send him to a mental institution. Unfortunately, they just didn't realize that they were sending him to the same mental institution where he'd been and escaped from three, three times. times. Napa State Hospital. And Napa, they diagnosed him with constitutional psychopathy, which with outbreaks of psychosis. So essentially, they're saying that like he has these psychotic, like these psychotic breaks, but that ultimately he does know what's going on. And he understands what's happening to him. Unlike maybe someone who's a paranoid schizophrenic who is fully enveloped in the fantasy going on in their brain. Right, right. Um, they were aware of the escapes before that was still on his record. So they decided that if he wasn't in his room that was locked, he was going to be restrained. Um, and even then, even while he was completely bound, Feet in hand, he tried to run away twice the first week. How? Where would you go? My thing is, buddy, what'd you do? Like, take like four steps and fall over? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they put him on an anti-syphilis drug, because um, I don't know if anybody knows this, but when you have syphilis for a prolonged period of time, it, it travels to your brain, and it begins wreaking havoc on your brain. It, it mad cow diseases your head. You don't um, need it. So the anti-syphilis drug is supposed to slow that process down. Um, We didn't have penicillin at the time, so we didn't know that that could cure you. Um, The drug was called Slaverson, and it improved him a little bit, 
The first year, he was really cooperative with his treatment. He showed he could do basic tasks, talk to people normally. Um, but he wouldn't let go of the religious fixation. And therefore, they were like, yeah, we can't release you because you're still talking like a creepy Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was kind of short-lived, though. At about the 18-month mark where he was at Napa, uh, his medical records show that his behavior shifted. He was frequently agitated, very sad. The words quiet and restless were used a lot in the documents. Um, Earl started refusing his treatment, like he stopped taking the syphilis drug. And he even told doctors, yeah, I'm going to leave soon. And on November 2nd, 1923, that's what he did. He showed up at his Aunt Lillian's house in the middle of the night. And this is a direct quote from the local San Francisco newspaper. He had his face right against the glass with a horrible, crazy hat on. And I let out a terrible scream because he looked awfully insane. His eyes were just black, glaring at me. And the children rushed up to me. And of course, I opened the door because he was my own flesh and kin. And I loved him. Lillian gave him some clothes from her husband's closet. But she told him, oh, it's probably not safe for you to be here because the hospital knows I'm your only next of kin. And he was like, yeah, you're right. And he ran off into the darkness. Oh, my God. Lillian immediately calls the police and Napa Hospital and tells them Earl was just here. They he gets picked up on the street by police two days later. They take him back to Napa. He's there for another 16 months. At that point, there aren't that many entries into his medical records other than a final note that says discharged and improved. Earl convinces Mary he's been cured and she takes him back in within a couple weeks and he starts wandering off again. His first official victim is Clara Newman. She's 62 years old. She operated several boarding houses in San Francisco. She's actually like an awesome business lady. She had properties on the East coast too. I don't know how you managed to pro- uh, operate multiple properties with just your phone. Oh. She couldn't like take a plane and go visit, right? you know, go yeah. fix it, but she was doing it. And she had family out there to help yeah. her. Um, she was known for being very stern with her borders. She kept a tidy place, took no guff. She's like, she, uh, the main <laughs> thing she asked you when you came was, uh, are you a sailor? Do you drink? She didn't want any sailors or drunkards in her home. Well, good thing. Cause he quit being a sailor. <laughs> Well, shortly after, she put a sign up in one of the windows saying that there was a vacancy in the home that she stayed in. Earl Nelson showed up dressed in a suit and he asked her about the sign. He gave her a fake name and she let him in. It was a quiet February day, very cold. And Earl didn't have any idea if she was alone. In fact, uh, Clara's nephew had just returned after dropping off his wife and daughter to go to the store and to see a movie. His name was Merton Newman. And a short while later, he came downstairs to check on the furnace and he saw that there was food on the stove in the kitchen um, and it was still like hot, like the grease was still in the pan. Mm -hmm. And uh, he saw Earl Nelson putting his hat on and leaving and Merton was like, hey, what are you doing here? And Earl's like, tell the landlady I'll return in an hour. I wish to rent the bedroom. Mm -hmm. And he turned and he left. And Merton was like, that's weird. And he went to the door, but Earl was already gone when he looked outside. Oh, he must have ran. I think so, too. Merton worked on the furnace, went back upstairs to do his own chores. And several hours later, he came back down to see that the food on the stove was still there. But now it was like cold and like the grease had turned, you know, that white solidified color. (laughs) Yeah. And he asked the other residents like, hey, have you seen my aunt? And they're like, no. 
So they all begin searching the whole house. Um, they find Clara's body. There's lots of reports about it, but uh, that she was found in the bathroom. She was on the toilet. Um, the one that makes the most sense is that she was found inside the vacant apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, her clothing was pulled up to her waist, indicating that there was a sexual assault. She had been strangled, but she hadn't been violated while she was alive. It was always afterward. That was only included in the autopsy report and not initially released to the public. Two weeks later, uh, a second woman in San Jose, her name Laura Beale, she's killed in the same manner. She was also older. She was a rooming house manager. Her husband returned home and found her missing. He gathered all the people in the house and they all searched everywhere. They found her nude from the waist down in the vacant apartment. She'd also been strangled with the silk belt from her house coat, um, pulled so tightly it cut into her skin. Hmm. Also violated postmortem. Um, the newspapers were very quickly like, uh, well, you know, there's two women who were all killed uh, at rooming houses. This is a pattern. Coincidence? They're like, this, this seems like the same guys doing all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, police get loads of tips. Uh, no leads found, though. All they have is Merle Newman's de- Merton Newman's description. This tall, tan white man with a suit on and a hat. Another woman had seen a sallow-faced man leaving the Beale house. Hmm. But that was it. And so the Bay Area named him the Dark Strangler. And it was sensational for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then they forgot about him. (laughs) The police were like, well, he hasn't struck again, so I guess he's moved on. I guess he's gone. Because that was February. Mm -hmm. Next murder happens June 26th. He meets Lillian St. Mary. And you're going to notice this, but so many of these victims are named Mary, Jenny. Hmm. I I don't know if that's on purpose. Did he walk from boarding room, boarding house to boarding house until he found someone who had a name similar to his wife or his grandmother? It's weird. But anyway, her name is Lillian St. Mary. And he found her through the classified ads. Um, She was a widow. And she had been taking in boarders to supplement her income at her house. Earl came to look at the vacancies. And as soon as they were in an empty room, he attacked her. Um, There were other boarders in this house, though. They said they never heard anything. And they only stopped to even look at the apartment because it was still open. Hmm. Um, When that guy found Mrs. St. Mary on the bed, her clothes were torn. Her legs were open. Autopsy showed that. While he was choking her, he had sat his entire weight on her chest. So, insult to injury. Mm, crushed her. Yeah. Um, after assaulting her corpse, he neatly folded up her coat and hat and sat it next to her on the bed. She had actually been getting ready to leave when he saw it, when, when he came in. And he left so quietly that the man who lived below that apartment heard nothing, not even footsteps. That's crazy. So, police definitely knew it was the same guy. But you can't do a whole lot with a description in San Francisco of tall white guy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So this time, a trolley conductor had seen a big man acting weird near the St. Mary's house. The press were like, he slips in and out of the houses like a specter, like a ghost. White shadow. And like I said, I think it's funny because it's not that he was particularly incredible at murder. He was just easily forgettable and unassuming. Mm -hmm. He was a basic white guy. 
He wasn't particularly attractive or hideous. He wasn't overly tall or short. He was just regular. And because he was regular, nobody noticed him. Very unassuming. Um, The police, however, in San Francisco were like, listen, I'm going to need y'all to stop just accepting people into your houses. I know y'all are trying to make money, but like, can you not do that? (laughs) And for two months, nothing happens. Everybody in California kind of breathes a sigh of relief. Which is exactly what needed to happen for him to strike again. Of course. Next crime wave happens in Santa Barbara, which is six miles south of San Francisco. Santa Barbara, like now it's still a very beautiful beach town. Mm. But in the 1920s, it was a very, very small resort town full of travelers, transient people and boarding houses. So it was the perfect place for him to do what he does. His next victim is uh, Ollie Russell. She's 53. Uh, She lived with her husband in a slightly older house. One of the boarders woke up in the middle of the night to hear a banging coming from next door. There was a door that separated their room, kind of like in a hotel. Those like when a room shares a conjoining, door. Yeah. And so he decides to look through the keyhole and he sees a man thrusting into a woman kind of embarrassed. Uh, his name was William Franny. He's like, oh, I should like not look. <laughs> yeah. But like he gets curious and then he looks again. He sees that the man's wearing like a dingy gray suit. And the more he looks at it, he's like, that looks like Ollie, my landlady. So he watches as the man gets dressed, puts on his hat, and leaves the room. He hears the hallway door close, the steps go downstairs. And then as he's watching, he's like, is that blood on the bed? So he goes to find Mr. Russell. And the two men return. They open the door and they find that Ollie is actually beaten pretty badly. So at some point, she must have fought back. Um, she'd been hit in the face before she was strangled. A cord was pulled around her neck to the point that it had cut into her skin. And that's why there was blood. Mm. Um, this was the first time that the police just said, whatever. He's a necrophiliac. Just letting you know. Oh, thanks. Thanks for that. This is what he's been doing. Um, next kill happens in Oakland, California. So now we're back up north. Mm-hmm. Um, Stephen Nisbet returns home. On June 26th, his wife had started dinner, but everything was sitting on the counter. Her purse was even still in their bedroom. So he waits for a little bit. And when she doesn't come home after like an hour or two, he organizes the the neighbors to look for her. Stephen, being aware of the news, assumes the worst. And uh, he was right. In one of the empty units on the second floor of the home, they found Mary. She was the most abused victim so far. She had been suffocated by a dish towel that she must have had with her. Her head had been slammed into the floor, the tile on the floor, with such force that some of her teeth were on the ground. Um, They said that there was blood on every surface. He had strangled her with such force that that same dish towel, like he must have pulled it out of her mouth and wrapped it around her neck. Mm -hmm. And it had ripped while he was strangling her. Hmm. Um. In Portland, he's heading north again, October 19th, Vita Withers. She's 30-something and divorced. She has a 15-year-old son. They find her murdered in the attic of the boarding home. He had stuffed her body inside of a trunk. Two days later, Virginia Grant is found dead and stuffed inside of her furnace in the basement. She had been strangled, assaulted after death, and he had stolen some stuff from her. Including money. He's just upgrading after every time. 
a few days after that, Mabel Fluke is found strangled and assaulted. He'd hidden her in the crawl space in the attic of her home. And this little spree was a definite shift in Earl's behavior. First, the crimes were more violent while the women were alive. They were happening in faster and faster succession. Now he was trying to hide the bodies. And anybody who's watched enough Criminal Minds knows that the the hiding aspect of this is either a forensic countermeasure or it's a sign of shame. Or you're guilty. You feel guilty about doing yeah. what you're doing. Um, the, the feeling of shame doesn't match him. He didn't seem to care before. Um, I think, it, for me, I think it's more of the forensic countermeasure. He was trying to give himself a chance to get away. Um, but it, none of these hiding spaces were good because they still found the lady within hours of her death. <laughs> he briefly stops in San Francisco and murders a 56-year-old woman, Anna Edmonds, on November, 20, on November 18th. The police weren't originally sure it was him. And then one of Anna's friends was like, I saw her talking to this tall man who asked her if he could buy her house. <laughs> November 19th, day later, Burlington, California, a 28-year-old pregnant woman is attacked while showing her home to a potential buyer. She survives the attack and gives the best description to the police yet. She's like, he's 5'8", well-dressed, well-spoken. He gives off no creepy vibes. He commented on the molding of the ceiling in her, like, setting area. Mm-hmm. To get her to look up so he could catch her off guard and grab her neck. A couple days later, November 23rd, he murders Florence Monks in Seattle. Steals some of her jewelry and he tries to pawn it. Uh, That doesn't work. So he gives it to the women at the boarding house he's staying in. Gross. Disgusting. Ten days later, November 29th, he murders Blanche Myers in Portland. Portland police just said, listen, stop showing your houses to strange (laughs) men. And if there aren't any men around, call the police and we will be there when your tenant comes to look at the property. Or, you know, just get one of your male friends to help you out. Or, Two days after Christmas, Bonnie Pace of Kansas City, Missouri is strangled to death in her home. December 28th, Germania Harpin and her eight-month-old son, Robert, are found in their Kansas City home. Both were strangled. And I'll leave those details for folks who want to Google. Uh, mm. Her husband found them when he came home from work. <sighs> Just awful. That's a terrible, yeah, terrible, terrible sight. By the end of 1926, he's murdered 14 women. And he's he seems like he's heading towards Canada. Um, also on December 23rd, um, the body of Almira Berard was found in a, t- a Council Bluffs home in Iowa. So I think that's, yeah, because it's two days after Christmas was the next one. There you go. So, yeah, that's mm. um, his next attack isn't until April 27th, where he's in Philadelphia and he murders Mary McConnell. He robbed her and tried to pawn her jewelry. Nobody wanted it. On his way north from Philadelphia, he murders 53 year old Jenny Randolph in Buffalo, New York on May 27th. She's found under a bed in her building three days later. Oh. He had introduced himself as Charles Harrelson to Randolph's brother, and the brother and other boarders confirmed that he was the same guy. Hmm. June 1st, he's in Detroit, Michigan. Boarding house manager Fannie Mae and boarder Maureen Atterthy are both killed. Their bodies were found by the building manager who came to collect the rent. June 3rd, he murdered Mary Cecilia Sietzma in Chicago. He also stole men's clothing from her home. Finally, he makes his way to Canada. 
And Canada is where he will not, he dies in Canada. Right. Okay. He made his way to Winnipeg where he stops at a secondhand store and he like sells off some of that jewelry and all of his fancy clothes for workman's clothing and just cash. Hmm. In town, he met 14-year-old Lola Cohen, and they believe that was on June 8th. She was out selling paper flowers door-to-door to help her family as her father was recovering from pneumonia. No one ever saw Earl with Lola, but he must have somehow talked her to coming back to the boarding house he was staying in because they found her body there several days later. Mm. Now, he was staying at this woman. Her name was Catherine Hill, her boarding house, with the money that he had gotten well, he had also stolen money from a second crime he did in Winnipeg. He had broken into the house of Emily Patterson, and he murdered her two days after he killed Lola Cohen. Emily had been bludgeoned to death with a claw hammer and stuffed under her bed. And there's this absolutely tragic story where her husband is like, I prayed to God that like God would show me where Mary was. And then like as he was standing up from bed, he like accidentally moved the blanket and he saw his wife's favorite sweater and realized that it was her under the bed. Yeah. It's terrible. Winnipeg is in total chaos. The police are like, uh, this, uh, Emily Patterson crime is very similar to the dark strangler. That's happening in the States. Oh, you don't say. Well, so Winnipeg's police department is like, screw this. We're stopping at every boarding house in the area and we're talking to everybody. There you go. And they're like, we need to see all the owners. Are there any landladies missing? So they stop by Catherine Hill's house and she's like, oh, the only guy who's come by lately was this very nice Christian man. And he ran in the room but I haven't seen him for a couple days, but he paid me up until Friday and he said he would be back on Friday to pay me more money. And she's like, it's not that uncommon because people are up there for work Mm -hmm. to be gone for a couple days at a time. After the police left, though, she got a little curious and she's like, let me go check on his his room. She knocks on the door. He doesn't answer. And so she lets herself in. She said the room stank as if he had left rotten meat out. And she realized that he hadn't slept in the bed. And she was like, he must have skipped out on paying me the rent. She's like, I'm going to call the police and let them know that this guy's not coming back. Mm. And then as she's getting ready to leave, she sees like a mannequin under the bed. And she, well, she realizes very quickly that's the body of it's Laura not a mannequin. Lola Cohen. Ugh. Just like every other person, uh, Lola had been strangled and assaulted post-mortem. And stuffed under his bed. Yeah. At this point, I think if you're listening, Earl is off the rails. He's completely unhinged at this point. Yeah. He's on the run. He's trying to quell these murderous urges. He's grabbing anybody because a 14-year-old doesn't fit his pattern of sexual interest at all, but it doesn't matter to him. He just grabbed somebody he saw on the street. He's got a lot going on for him, though, because the entire Royal Canadian Mounted Police are looking for him. There is $1,500 reward out for his capture. And in worse, he's a foreigner. So he's not talking like the locals. He doesn't look like the locals. He's not using the right words. Sticking out like a sore thumb. Yup. And so he's like, I'm just going to try and hitch a ride back to the U.S. border, which only made it easier for the police to track his movements because other people were like, yeah, so we definitely saw this American guy. <laughs> we dropped him off down the road that way. Um, he makes it almost to the U.S. border, five miles away, when a cop catches up with him. See, at this point, his description had been been given to all of the border towns in the entire province. 
And when he stopped for food in Wacopa, he was recognized and they like very discreetly like called the cops and were like, he's here. He got about a mile and a half away from Wacopa when a constable stopped him. And this dude took no chances, drew his gun on him immediately and was like, I need you to like stop. <laughs> um, Earl surrenders and he's taken to the Killarney Manitoba jail. He tells them his name is Virgil Wilson. He's just a day laborer and he has no idea who this dark strangler, dark strangler person is. Oh my God. He cooperates fully and he's like so helpful and nice that the police are like, do we have the right guy? <laughs> yes. Well, they put him into a jail cell and unfortunately, like, this jail was pretty old. The constable locks him up, even though he's having, like, you know, uh, second thoughts. But they put him in a jail cell the way that they used to do which was no shoes, no socks, and no belt. So you couldn't harm yourself and you couldn't get out. He goes to Telegraph Winnipeg and tell them, we found the killer. So when he returns to the prison, he stops to get a cigar and a newspaper. He's pulling pretty good. Mm -hmm. And uh, the jail doors are open and Earl is gone. Oh my God. The master of unlocking. (laughs) Houdini strikes again. He managed to find a wire pick the double lock and escape without being seen by anybody else in the prison. The constable quickly forms another group. They go outside searching again. The constable at this point's like, listen, I thought he was a good guy, but because he ran, you know, he's not. Yeah. He has something to hide. Earl found an old barn and hid there for the night. Then he found an old sweater and a pair of ice skates. And he removed the blade from the ice skates and wore those as shoes and started walking South. Hmm. Harold Schechter like wrote in his book that Earl probably thought of himself as invincible by now. Um, and I just, you got to figure like there's, he meets a farmer on the road. The farmer recognizes him, but there he is standing with his big self wearing this old ass sweater with the holes in it in some ice skates, ice skates. without the skate part on the bottom. <laughs> he has to look ridiculous. And oh he's like, God. I'm doing a good job. No one can tell it's me. I'm obviously disguised perfectly. Yes. What's that uh, song from uh, The Backyard Again? Super Spy! Oh my gosh. <laughs> he thought he was doing He's an international doing. super spy. He thought he really was an international super spy. Um, he's very quickly found after the farmer. It's like, I left him on that road. <laughs> um, the next step was they brought in nearly 40 witnesses from both Canada and the U S confirming his identity. Um, Catherine Hill was the nail in the coffin as she was like, well, that's the guy who I meant the room to. And that's where we found the body. Um, even Merton Newman came to Canada to point him out. They discovered that his, the way that he was getting around people recognizing him was that before he would go on like his little murder spree, he would shave his face completely clean and clear mm. and cut his hair short. Then he would do the murders and then he would let his hair grow out as he was traveling. So people would be looking for a clean shaven man and he'd be walking around looking like, you know, a ruffian. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he finally admitted that he was Earl Nelson but they were like, well, what about this knife? Because when he was in Detroit, he had cut the cord that he used to wrap around the lady's neck when the cord on the lamp was still in the wall oh, right, and right. it had burned the knife. So they were like, you have this burned knife and this was used in Detroit. He's like, listen, I'm too Christian to kill anybody. What are you talking about? I'm a good <laughs> Christian man. 
It wasn't me, officer. It was one on man. His lawyers just decided, uh, we're just going to go with the fact that he's a complete and totally insane. And he shouldn't be allowed to testify on his own behalf. Uh, as that's happening, indictments come down in San Francisco, Portland, Detroit, Philadelphia, and Buffalo. However, Manitoba's like, uh-uh. We got the death penalty. <laughs> he gets tried here first. Let us take care of it. For killing Emily Patterson and Lola Cohen. Let's let us deal with it. So it was unlikely he'd ever make it to the U.S. to be to see those uh, trials. Detectives across North America show up to compare notes, and they manage to link. Mind you, this would never happen now in our current time. But they legitimately, all these U.S. detectives went up to Manitoba and they sat down with all of their notes and they linked him to 22 murders across North America. Oh, yeah. That doesn't sound like that would happen. <laughs> that would never happen now. People are like so like ego driven. They're like, we don't care. Yeah. Is this it, is, is your guy our guy? Let's compare. Notes it didn't affect us at all. Or did it? Um, <laughs> even though he had like a bunch of stints where he didn't do any crime for months at a time. Mm-hmm. Um his average was about one murder per month between February 20th, 1926 to June 9th or 10th, 1927. Uh, the trial was quick, open and shut. It was a circus, but it wasn't nearly as dramatic as some of the trials I've discussed this year. <laughs> um, it was a big deal for Manitoba, though, because they had never had anything this crazy. Um, they had so many eyewitnesses, though, confirming he was who he was that the prosecution didn't have to do too much. The worst that they did... like. The defense attorneys didn't really know how to defend him. So they tried to show that he was like super crazy and he'd always been crazy his whole life. They had Lillian show up and she discussed like how terrible they were. They talked about like his mental illness and Mary was like, yeah, after he hit his head a couple times, he got more abusive. Um, It was very clear to anybody watching that both Mary and Lillian were trying to save him from the death penalty. Mm-hmm. The prosecution had one witness, a psychiatrist who called Earl a constitutional psychopath that's the second time he's gotten a diagnosis so legally sane and aware of what he's doing you can leave the rest up to the jury that's where they left that mm-hmm. the jury found him guilty within an hour judge andrew dysert gave him the death penalty and at first earl was kind of emotionless but about two months after his trial while he was awaiting his execution he began telling everybody the media like he started writing letters i'm innocent he did interviews with reporters but he even requested to the high court of Manitoba that they do in a, a new trial. But the high court was like, yeah, it's okay. No, we already know it was you, buddy. We literally found the body of a teenage girl in your bedroom, buddy. Underneath your bed. No, the day you. before his execution, he met with the family of Emily Patterson and Lola Cohen. And to Lola Cohen's mom's face, he was like, I didn't kill your daughter. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, my God. Gaslighting. Um, the next day, his hanging came and went peacefully. He told reporters he was innocent and he'd made his peace with God. He took a step up to the gallows, let them put the hood over his head. And ironically, the king that the thing that killed the Dark Strangler was strangulation. Hmm. If you're a fan of Hitchcock, uh, Earl Nelson's story did inspire the film Shadow of a Doubt, which is about the Mary Widow murderer, which also has to do with the fact that these are older women all being killed. Right. Um. Nelson is considered to be the first serial murderer in American history that was widely reported on. And his crimes and trial received national media attention and international attention all the way to Australia. 
Uh, as far as historically, he is considered to be the first serial lust killer whose crimes were completely sexual in nature. Mm. Even though his victims were dead, dead when he assaulted them, his crimes were definitely based in sex, right? which makes him a lust killer. And that's the first in 20th century America. Hmm. And that's our uh, horrible boy, Earl Nelson. Very interesting and just disturbing. Awful. Yeah. Oh, that's goodness. what I got for you today. Yay. Oh, goodness. When Killers Get Caught is sponsored by the Magic Class Boutique. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? Well, it's because it's a business ran by our very own Brittany. That's right. The Magic Class Boutique is not only a black-owned business, it's a woman-owned as well. This is a jewelry company that makes some pretty awesome earrings, ranging from cute little sushis to spooky mermaid skeletons. There are even adorable self-defense keychains for those just-in-case moments. And introducing the Serial Collection. This set of earrings is based off of serial killers and the official merch for the podcast. This collection features everything a serial killer would need to pull off their crimes, from hunting knives at the beginning of their crimes to warden keys for when they eventually get caught. Check out themagicclasp.com today where you can use our promo code CAUGHT to receive 15% off of your online order. That's T-H-E-M-A-G-I-C-C-L-A-S-P dot com and use promo code CALT for 15% off and make sure you tell Brittany that I sent you. Okay. Well, today, I'm going to start this off with a little story. Okay. Okay, now bear with me because it's... I wrote it, so. <laughs> Aw. So I'm I'm not a writer, but you know, bear with me. It 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 set the mood for you guys. The summer heat is killing you. Humidity, sweat, bugs, yuck. You just want to get away. You do. You'll do literally anything to escape the heat. Sitting at your computer, underneath your ceiling fan, that seems to just make you hotter for some reason. When you check your emails, it says, Congratulations! You're a lucky winner! You entered a contest a few months ago for a free trip to Nepal. It's supposed to be cold there! You immediately pack your bags and get ready for the trip of your lifetime. Um, of your lifetime of the lifetime of your lifetime of a lifetime of usually. a lifetime there you go i didn't know how to write that <laughs> fast forward you're in a pole staying in a lovely cabin the weather is perfect nice and cool and no bugs oh true true you're little you're like you're spending a relaxing night by the fireplace when you hear scratching along your cabin okay probably a tree scratching then, then there's a thudding sound on the roof of your cabin. Maybe an owl? That makes sense. Owls owls thud. Yeah. They, they, they sit on your roof. 
Suddenly, a pile of snow comes down the chimney and knocks out your fire. Great. It's dark as fuck in your cabin now. Then there's a loud boom at your door. What the heck? You think the banging continues until your door comes flying in. Mm-hmm. While you're hiding in a small kitchen area, shivering, you peek out from the corner and see a terrifying sight. A large hulking beast standing in the doorway. Mm-hmm. This can't be, you say. Impossible. It steps in, searching for something, sniffing the air. Suddenly, it spots you and lets out a terrifying roar. As it charges towards you, all you can think is, well, at least I'm not hot anymore. Shut up. No. <laughs> oh. So I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. What happens when a snowman has a tantrum? I don't know. He has a meltdown. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I'm going to tell my student, my campers that. They love silly jokes. Oh, goodness. So what the heck am I talking about today? Um, something that lives in the cold and is abominable. And it is. Is that not? Is that the right name for him? It, abominable. I mean, snowman? it's it's a name that it's called. Is that the right name? It's a name. Okay. <laughs> Listen, you know we got all these weird names. <laughs> oh my goodness! One of my friends was just like, <laughs> "Oh, they wished me well." And finding someone who is as thick as the Mothman. Oh my god. <laughs> Good luck. The Mothman do be packing the cake. They're like, uh, good luck. Hope you find someone who's got a booty like the Mothman. I was like, that's like my new favorite way that we should sign off when we leave <laughs> people. Yes, let's do it. So, I'll be talking about the Yeti today. Okay. Yetis. Yet, Yeti. Whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Don't know much about it, to be honest. Well, let me enlighten you on some things about this this uh, creature. So, its name roughly translates to The Thing. Which is... <laughs> Wait, The Thing? The Thing. Um, so creative. Yeah, I know, right? Which is funny, because there's a movie... Uh, John Car- Carpenter. It's called the Thing. Yeah. Um, and it's when they're in like I, I forget where they're at, a- a- Antarctica or something like that. Uh, so they're in a cold spot. Yeah, you're right. And they're a- attacked by an alien shapeshifter or some type of shapeshifting alien. Maybe it's loosely related. It's an alien, but you know, it is whatever. Anyway, I mean, lots of people believe that like stuff from ancient cultures is aliens. This is you true. know I have this like violent, angry issue with people thinking that the uh, pyramids were built by aliens. Yes. So. Yeah, we talked about this with my great aliens. Oh, that makes me angry. What? What? Listen, black people were smart. This, don't this take that true. away from us. Please don't. <laughs> Let us have Egypt. You know what's funny? Don't uh, 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 talk about any other original ancient societies in Africa. We y'all only talk about Egypt. Let us at least have that then. I was going to say something, but I'll talk about it later. <laughs> Which is it? 
Nothing. I'll talk about it later. Oh, is it part of your... <laughs> oh, no, it's all there. Oh, <laughs> so okay. <I> all... <laughs> I just like that little guy who goes, alien. Yes. The hands. So the Yeti. Right. Or Yeti. Or Mete. Um, different names for... multiple names? Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a large bipedal ape-like creature. Is that it? It had, um, has either brown or gray or more commonly known... Um, White fur. Wait, wait, wait. Are they related? Are there American cousins named Bigfoot? I mean, are we really? Are they? They are. They are closely related. I'd say uh, they are both ape-like creatures. Okay, that's new. I didn't think they were the same creature. Well, they're not, but they're just. Well, do we ever see white one? Like we only see the white ones in the snow. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I have many questions. I mean, the, the, the whiteness could just be from the snow, and not just because their fur is white. I mean, you're saying they're polar bears. Polar bears' fur is actually clear. Oh, I'm not talking about polar bears. Though. I'm talking about yetis. Well, if it's brown, it would look brown on white. Yeah, but gray would pass. Sure. Maybe they're just gray. Okay, but you said there's brown ones too. There are brown ones. Be black like those cute squirrels. No. <laughs> Anyway. Sorry. It's okay. Um, I'm a mess. Sorry. So the first known reference to the Yeti is a 1832 issue of the Journal of the Asianic Society of Bengal, uh, where native hunters in a northern Nepal province, a province uh, they spot a hairy and tailless biped, bipedal uh, creature. Okay. Now... The writer of this issue thought that the hunters saw an orangutan. What? Yeah. In Nepal. Nepal? In Nepal. It's Nepaling. I think it's cool that this is like in a real magazine. Yeah. It's like some little goofy like, you know, zine that's made by a bunch of side people. It sounds like a real official thing i'm pretty sure there's another cryptid sighting nowadays it would be in the news too i suppose but that'd probably be like, as a joke be like someone releasing like the journal of like medicine mm. and there's one of those like really you know journals that like collegiate people write in and they reference seeing a cryptid that's like a big deal you're right you're right you're very true um so yeah the writer he thinks that they may have spotted an orangutan. Okay. But. So why is an orangutan so far from home? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Orangutans do not exist in Nepal. They like it warm. They, 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 don't, they don't exist in mainland Asia at all. I realize. I thought they had some probably in the like, you know, the rainforest type areas, mm. the hot forest. Because, you know, we yeah. when we talked about Fulan de V, I didn't know until I did that, that like they're straight up swamp forest areas in India. Yeah. So like. Mm. So in 1921, on an expedition of Mount Everest um, or Everest, uh, Everest expedition, um Colonel C.K. Howard Burry, Burry and his buddies, um, they found footprints that were three times the size of human tracks. Now, 
they had Sherpa guys with them, of course. And the guides said that these footprints, they belong to the Mete. Um, Mete, it means a uh, man-like thing that's not a man. I so, like that. That's yeah. a good description of a lot of things. Could you... <laughs> I just imagined. What if, like, you know, somebody was naming things and they were just like, that's ah, a tree-like. Like you just look at a bush, and you're like, "That's it's it's kind of like a tree. It's just shorter. Yeah, it's, it's a tree like. It's a tree like short thing. It's I a love short that tree like thing. That's a really cute way to name something. Oh my god. Um, but this uh, somehow got mistranslated. Oh. Uh, and turned into the abominable snowman somehow. Oh, uh, okay. What? Some I, I don't know. Somehow they got mete abominable. It doesn't even, there's no, no. Someone just made that up. Preferably somebody probably like from uh, Europe or America because we love to butcher things from this other is true. cultures. <laughs> it's very true. Now, um, Colonel Howard Berry said that he thought otherwise. He, um, you know, he, he knows more than Sherpas know. So... He he's he he's grown up in this area. He knows the lore and all that stuff, all those stories. Aren't the Sherpas like considered to be like the end all be all when it comes to like that area? <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. I'm just confusion. <laughs> all good. I was like, I thought that like people use the Sherp like they get help from the Sherpas when they cross the what you call it, the mountain. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he 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 disagreed. He said but he was it, just a special brand of jerk. Yeah, he gotcha. said it, it was a. He thought it was a gray wolf that made these footprints that were three times the size of men's. A wolf. Like, could you imagine, like, being a wolf that had a size thirty foot? That's like dire wolf territory. Like, that's scary. Exactly. He's like, I'm like I'm leaving the mountains. Then, if that's a wolf, exactly. Yeah. Listen, I'm not particularly fond of the woods now, and there's just regular old bears. <laughs> and they're regular sized. Something bigger than that is terrifying. This is true. Um But guess what? There aren't any known wolves in the freaking Himalayas. Uh, of course they're of course they're not. Oh, so you're wrong. So where do you even get that oh my god. I don't know. Who listen, is he what does he look like what I think he probably looks yeah. like? Yeah. Oh, they're so annoying. <laughs> it's just, it's just like sometimes you got to take a backseat and let people from an area who know things talk. Yes. Like sometimes you just don't have to talk. <laughs> so he's over here telling people who live here and like their job is to know the land and and guide tourists and other people and help people. Y'all know what you're talking about. That's a wolf. That'd be a wolf print. Bruh. That's a wolf print. Anyway, <laughs> in 1925... A I'm offended for those Sherpas. <laughs> they probably did, but I'm offended. A British photographer, um, he spotted this at thirteen, uh, uh, 15,000 feet um, uh, by a glacier. Uh, he saw a naked figure... In an outline, exactly. Well, as this is a quote, it's uh, he saw a naked figure, an outline, 
exactly like a human being walking through the snow. So there was a humanoid figure walking around a glacier that was naked. I don't like that. Why don't they have any clothes? Because they're Yeti. They what? have fur on their butt. Mothman don't have any clothes? Oh, uh, that makes that weird butt statue even worse. <laughs> that means the front is just dangling. Yes. Dangling. Unless it's not a man. Unless he does. He just. A non gender, an agender cryptid. Yeah. Hmm. But he's called the Mothman. I assume that's because he looked like a man. Well, he does look like a he look like a man. Look like a man. I was gonna say that he's looking like a man. <laughs> oh my goodness! Uh, let's see another account. Uh, March nineteenth, nineteen fifty four. There was an expedition team out collecting hairs in the Peng Pengbosch uh, monastery. Um. Now, they are collecting hairs that they believed were, um, they had come from the scalp of a yeti. Okay, okay. Um, well, they brought the hairs to be uh, analyzed by a many, uh, professor. What year was this? Uh, 1954. The fun thing about this is that they're still doing this now. Mm. People still find weird hair and they can't oh, yeah. connect it to any living or known creature and they're like it's got to be yeti or a uh sasquatch sasquatch yeah that happened on the show that i was telling you have to watch yes the fright club they showed like a toenail that was massive that they thought belonged to a bigfoot oh my god i'm going to watch it i'm like this on my it's funny it's on my watch list it's a good for Netflix. Funny show it's also where i found my, my shoe my pink shoe <laughs> Well, I, I saw I bought them after I saw him wear them. But regardless. So he's an expert in uh, human in goodness, comparative anatomy. So okay. human in comparative comparative anatomy. Okay. Yeah. Um, so after many tests, they couldn't tell what animals these hair came from. So they like cut the hairs, they bleached the hairs, they did so many look things. And see like the. Where, you know, the keratin, the different layers. Yeah, all exactly. That stuff. Yeah. yeah. So they couldn't. It's all DNA aspects, too. It's just find if it matches ours or not or other creatures. Yeah. But they couldn't find out which animal it belonged to. Mm-hmm. Um, but he first said that it wasn't from a bear or an anthropod ape. Okay. Um, but it was probably from a hooved animal. So like a goat? Yeah, but maybe a. It doesn't match what it looks like. Maybe a sheep squatch. Doesn't have hooves. Makes you think of that game Fallout. Yeah, sheep squatch. Maybe <laughs> a sheep squatch up in the. In I'm the like that, that. Don't they have weird like amalgamations of monsters in that game? You sure do. It's fun. Uh, so here's another account. You like this one? Okay. So, a yeti was supposed to supposedly uh, had been captured. In 2011, in Russia. Oh, okay. So a hunter, he sees this bear type thing attacking his sheep. Man bear pig. <laughs> and He's full of meme references today. I know. He fires his gun off and the creature runs away. On two legs, not four. Right. So, Common. Yeah. 
what the heck is this big large thing um so i i guess it was captured afterwards um and then what was it if they captured it what was it and then they capture a female one as well ryan (laughs) what was it if they captured it they have to know what it is so apparently this turned out to be a hoax ah (laughs) that was it was either a prank or some type of advertisement type of thing yeah those things happen I just wanted to know. I was like, "You're like, is this a, is this a real Yeti?" <laughs> no. Uh, even if it wasn't a Yeti, what the fuck was it? <laughs> oh man, hilarious! <clears throat> like, even if it isn't Yeti, I'm like, "What is this thing?" So there are some possible explanations for what these things that people are seeing are. Mm-hmm. Um, they could be a bear. The bears are, you know, common around mountain ridges, uh, areas. I feel about that assessment of it could be a bear. I'm just saying. Um, maybe it could be a wolf. Not a wolf. <laughs> or maybe it's an orangutan. Yes, far from home. Yes, or maybe it's just like a, I don't know, a missing link. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've heard people say that. Yeah. Maybe. The link between humanity and, uh, like... Homo sapiens, Australopithecus. Early man and, yeah. Actually, I heard something really interesting about that, which is that there were multiple um, versions of Homo whatever. Yeah. Homo sapiens were the one that we are. Mm -hmm. And they all lived in different parts of the world, right? And then they have found the skeletons of other, like Homo erectus and other things. And those things have, like, wounds like battle wounds so that there was some kind of homo whatever there's a war human wars and homo sapiens were just the winners or maybe we were just smart enough to hide it and let those other people kill themselves that's such an interesting idea yeah so there are different types of uh yeti creatures um oh yeah there are there's uh, a thing called a Azute. Okay. It's uh, translated as big thing. Um, it's another. <laughs> Vast nomenclature. I love it. <laughs> big thing. Big thing. Human like thing. <laughs> that thing over there. It's, it's, oh my gosh, it's John. <laughs> it's John. <laughs> that John. This John. <laughs> it's, it's literally the same. It's John Dale. Oh, goodness. No, it's John. John. It's a John. It's a John. Oh, it's a John. <laughs> John. J A W N. Yes. That is what is happening with this nomenclature. They're just like, it's this is John. Oh my god. Whatever. Um Listen, the only thing I've ever seen that's explained John correctly is that movie with uh Michael B. Jordan. No, yeah. Creed. It's a thing. It's just yeah. the word for everything in Philadelphia. It's a thing. It's it's, it's the word for everything. Like yeah, everything's John. Anyway. Everything's John. <laughs> everything's John. So and the closer you get to understanding that, the better off life will be for you. So this John is another um, animal that's supposed to be a yeti. I like it. It's a big hulking animal mm-hmm. that's usually quadruped though, mm. um, but it can walk as a biped, so it's kind of like bearish. Right. Okay. Um, bears do that. Yeah. 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 So it may be a uh, uncatalogued large bear. 
Um, I don't like the idea of there being bears we don't know about. Yeah. They are quite scary. So, uh, this animal, this Zute or Jezte, mm-hmm. whatever, um, they raid uh, small livestock holdings and leave behind claw prints. Um, so, yeah. So, this may just be a bear. A, a bear that nobody sees. It's a very large, large bear. Um, okay. There's another type. It's called a te. I'm gonna say te la. Maybe is a te and then a l m a. I'm not. I'm gonna say the m is silent. Uh so it seems to be related to arthropods. Uh, like the the proto pygmies. Okay. Uh. So that those are spotted, you know, in the tropical valleys of Asia. So, those things. Um, I guess this was the major, the major yeti that had been seen and discussed by zoologists who thought it would be caught. So, I guess they 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 um they have not found it. This this te la or how how are you pronounce it? Okay. Um, but, you know, they found evidence of its presence being around, like footprints. They saw, you know, they, there were sightings of it. They found some stool droppings from it as well. So, you know, they thought that, you know, they were on the, on the trail of, you know, tracking this thing down and mm-hmm. catching it. Um, but by 1960s, uh, fail. Basically, they they kind of <laughs> they kind of ran out of funding for that for catching it, so they uh they it's still on the loose somewhere. But yeah, um, but yeah, like I said, a lot of bears are mistaken to be yetis, and um, or yeti yetis yeti. I don't know. I feel like you feel like yeti is like moose. Yeah. We never say the S. I mean, mooses, Mises. No, we mooses. never say that. It's always moose. Moose. That's a moose. Squirrel and moose. Moose and squirrel. Moose and squirrel. Okay. <laughs> um, There are some pop culture references to the Yeti, of course. Well, question. Yes. Has anybody ever seen, like, has there ever been a first, like, you know, like, there's people who, like, I was laying in bed and an alien took me up into the sky and I've been touched by an alien. So there's a first-hand account. Have there been any first-hand accounts of seeing a Yeti? Are you asking the people who have been touched by a Yeti? Like, I saw a Yeti. It was right there. Like, Not like it was 1,000 feet away. Or like I saw it up on a mountain. I'm going to say there are people who claim to have seen it, like, up close. Okay, so here, here's a story okay. that I found while searching for Yeti stuff. And okay. let me pull it up. Um, so it's a, it's a news story. It's a headline reads, artist claims to had close encounter with Yeti. Okay. So apparently this is an artist who, um, I guess he was doing something in his backyard and he, you know, he spots his Yeti and the Yeti just 
lets him draw him on a piece of <laughs> of bark. You want to see the picture? No, I'm I'm I decided oh. to lay out and draw me like one of your French girls. That's what I did. Basically, this is yeah, that's what the Yeti wanted him to do. Um so that's the that's the piece of tree that he drew the Yeti on. Aww. And he let the like the Yeti get let him sketch it. And this is like the full picture of what it looked. That's a really lovely photo. He's an artist. He looks so nice. Like, I mean, he's an artist, so I'm gonna say I'm glad an artist got to draw the Yeti. Listen, you see me on Gardic phone. <laughs> I'm not very good. At <laughs> no, this. you're not. Oh my god. But yeah, like this is like the only encounter I've seen that like, hey, yeah, this Yeti was up close to me. He he was nice and friendly. He let me draw him. You know, we had a couple brews afterwards and That's he went off hilarious. He went off back into, you know, the wilderness. There was a video on Fright Club there was this guy, he was like just looking out his back window and this very tall creature like runs through the back. Mm. I guess this his house was like back near a forest Mm. and he like spazzed out um and i'm like that's the only thing i ever kind of see like people like those kind of situations yeah it's just kind of doing its thing and people are far away basically because the guy like went back in his house he was like haha i'm not walking out there (laughs) smart man oh my goodness yeah that's uh that's what i got this week for creeps lebron it's still good it was this is fun (laughs) Oh, goodness. Nothing spooky, though. That was not scary. No, it's just a Yeti. Yetis just be out doing whatever they want to do. Sometimes cryptids don't have to be creepy. They can just be interesting. Yeah, well, that one ate the dog, and you made me sad. Which one? Mothman ate the dog. (laughs) We don't know what happened to the dog. I'll never forgive you. (laughs) He just disappeared after spotting the Mothman. Nope. Oh, my God. The doggy got eight. A dog may have gotten eaten by the Mothman. A giant bug man. Who knows? Sad. Anyway, thanks for listening, uh, as usual. Oh, I did want to say that we do have merch up on the website. Yes. And you're going to start hearing like little ads probably in the podcast. Really tiny, like maybe like only 15 seconds. Just reminding you that the website is there and there's so much stuff to do on it. You can leave comments. You can talk to each other under each of the uh, episodes, past yeah. ones. The whole archive is up there. Uh, you can go to our little merch store. We have t-shirts and I am going to be getting little things where like embroidery type things, like a little hoodie, like a cap, a little beanie. You know, you guys like those, like beanies, beanies. Yeah. But yeah. And, uh, you can leave reviews there. You can always leave reviews for us on your preferred podcasting platform. We thank you so much for listening. It's very, very exciting. Yes, we do appreciate all the listens we get. Um, yeah, you can uh, find me at Cop Podcast <laughs> on TikTok. You can find Brian on Creeps with Brian at TikTok, but also Foxy Trainer on Twitch on Sundays at 6 p.m. Yes. We just started Doki Doki Literature Club. Yes. It is the new one with special extra bits of content. I just think it's just extra bits. And yeah, that's what we do. Thanks for listening. Whenever you might be listening from wherever you are listening, as there are like 40 countries listening to this podcast. Yes. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Oh yeah. And we'll and see you next week yeah. for our first milestone. Yay. Twenty-five episodes. Have a good night, guys. <laughs>